Good morning, everyone. So I'm going to start off on probably slightly a different note than we were expecting, but I have something very important to tell all of you. The big yellow school bus was a big part of my life. Growing up in rural Canada, in Ontario, I would take the school bus two hours a day, five days a week. That's a big part of your life as a child. But that's not very an exciting story, really. Except our bus driver, Lila, was very lovely, had absolutely no rules for the bus. That's not very common. Typically, you have the rule, no food on the bus, or stay seated while the bus is in motion, or assigned seating, things like that. Instead of the rule, no food on the bus, the boys would have food fights on the bus. They would also save their apples for their, from their lunches and then line up their winter boots at the back of the bus. And while the bus was in motion, they would bowl at the back. It was good fun. Lila herself was very eccentric. She one day, in between dropping us off at school and picking us up, she went and bought a whole bunch of shrubs and put them and filled half the bus. So the boys thought they would take it up a notch and actually crawl on top of the seats while the bus was in motion. It wasn't always the boys, sometimes the teenage girls would say, hey, Lila, instead of taking me home, would you mind dropping me off at the cinema after school? Sure, no problem, she would. And some poor other kid would be rerouted and they would have to walk a lot further. Also, and this is the crazy thing as well, especially coming to the UK, the roads are very wide in North America, but Lila would manage to hit things all of the time. There would be a parked vehicle and as the bus would go by and she would just keep on driving. So my sister and I would come home each day from school. We would have tears in our eyes from laughing so hard of all the wild things that Lila did. And my mom would be there preparing dinner, asking how our day was from school. And I guess she half believed us. I don't think she really understood what was really going on in the bus. I'm sure our overactive imagination and the world of reality for her that was quite blurred. So she's like, I don't think that's really happening on the bus. Maybe one of those things happened. But that's just how it happened. It went on for years and eventually we got a new bus driver. And then years later, my mom became friends with another woman in the community and she invited our family over to her house for dinner. And when we went there, we realized, oh, one of the boys that we went on the bus with was her son. And he, fully unprompted from us, started telling all of the same stories that we did over the years. And my mom's eyes started getting big as saucers and her mouth started opening. Oh, that really did happen. And even though she may have said she believed us, we really knew. If she really believed us, her actions would have been so much different. She would have phoned the school, she would have done something, but you know what, hey, it toughened us up. I feel like millennials are picked on for being a bit lame, a bit weak, so you know, toughens us up, gave us some resilience. So the reason I tell you that story today is that there is a relationship between our belief and our action. And we're gonna look at a character in the Bible today called Zachariah, and look at today how when our belief affects our actions when God does something very unexpected in our lives. Now, you may be thinking, Zachariah, didn't we just do that a couple of weeks ago with Debs? You did, but the good thing about the Bible is it's evergreen, and we can look at new things, and that's okay. So we're going to look at it from a slightly different angle. So we are going to open up our Bibles. Kids, if you've brought your Bibles, that's wonderful. If not, the words will be up on the screen. We're going to open up to Luke chapter 1. So very easy to find, Matthew, Mark, Luke 
Let me know when you're ready. All right, we're going to open up to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 11. But just to give some quick context, so Luke is a doctor, that's what we're told, and he wrote this, and he took this book very, very seriously. He says in the beginning of the chapter of Luke that he went out to write a very accurate account, and you can believe what he's writing is true. So he's coming in with facts. This is not poetic or anything like that. This is like, this is what happened. So we know we can believe um, what Luke is saying. All right, so we're going to pick up with Zechariah just for some big context on Zechariah. He's a priest. He's a Jewish priest. It says that he's righteous in God's eyes. He's in Jerusalem, which is a big, important place. And he's in the temple, and now he's going to be in the sanctuary. And now something dramatic is going to happen. So we're going to pick it up in verse 11. It says, While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will, have a, uh, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, we're just skipping over to verse 18, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. I feel like Zechariah's a bit of a gentleman. That's nice about his wife's age. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It is he who sent me to bring you this good news. We're going to come back to that later. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak. That's pretty brutal. Until the child is born. For my words will will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Yikes! seems a little bit harsh, doesn't it? When we first read that, it's not like you will be silent for one day, but you're going to be silent for probably close to nine months. That is a, ouch, when I read that, on just the first time I read that, I always think, wow, I don't know, like Zachariah was a little overwhelming. It says he was overwhelmed. Why did he respond? Like, like, I don't know. It just seems a little bit tricky. But Luke has actually given us some extra information of this story that's going to help us understand. So Luke also wrote a parallel story about Mary, and he wants us to compare and contrast these stories and see how Mary responded, which, for those of you who know, spoiler, responds a lot better. So we're actually going to now look at how Mary responds, and I think that's going to help us understand Zechariah a little bit better. So we are now going to go to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Again, the words will be up on the screen. So it says, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, or you could say six months later, God sent the angel Gabriel, same angel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign forever. Um, Sorry, no, he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and will be called the Son of God. 
What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the Lord, uh, for the word of the God will never fail. Now Mary responds, and this is so beautiful. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Ooh. Can everyone go, ooh. So Mary has this really beautiful response, doesn't she? So I decided we're going to have a little Sherlock Holmes moment, and we're going to investigate. So kids, get out your magnifying glass here. It's one of the things I love about being in the UK is that there's so many good BBC dramas, crime dramas. It's like never ending. It's so great. So I love that. So we're going to have a Sherlock Holmes moment here together. So let's investigate. Why did Zachariah respond that way? Maybe, maybe it just wasn't a good day for him. Let's start off with the setting. Okay, so maybe Zachariah was somewhere where he wasn't expecting to hear from God. Nope, that was not the case. Zachariah was in an important place. He was in Jerusalem, in the temple, in the sanctuary, having a priest moment. Like, this is a big deal. If you're ever going to hear from God or everything, something's going to happen that's important, it's probably going to happen there. And yet, it, it, it seems to throw him off a bit, doesn't it? But he would be expecting that. Very different from Mary. Mary is from Nowheresville, Nazareth. She's in Galilee, and guess what? We don't even know specifically where she was because Luke said, it was so boring, I didn't need to tell you. So maybe she was making bread, maybe she was walking out in a field. We, we just don't know what she was, but all we know is she's in Nazareth. Again, unimportant place, you wouldn't be expecting that. So sorry, Zachariah, one tick against you there. Okay, let's look at the next one. Oh, maybe the communication was a bit unclear. Maybe he didn't really know. Maybe he was confused, like, oh, are you talking to me? Nah. This is very clear communication for both Zachariah and Mary. This is an angel coming saying, Zachariah, God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, it wasn't like, oh, someone else. He's giving very clear communication. I know for me, I felt like I heard from God quite strongly that we were going to come to the UK. But compared to this, it was a tiny whisper compared to this. is as clear as you can get. Um, sometimes in a family, there's usually someone who knows where everything is. And they're usually, they end up marrying someone who doesn't know where anything is in the house. So sometimes a spouse might say to another spouse, uh, do you know where the biscuits are? And you might say, oh, they're in the cupboard. They go to the cupboard. Which the cupboard on the left, top shelf, in the green container, in the blue pack that says biscuits. And they're still, I, I can't find it. And you're like, I don't know how I could be any more clear. I won't tell you who that is in my marriage. I don't, I don't, I don't think you can guess. But this is probably what Gabriel is like. I don't know how I could have been any more clear or given you any more information for you to understand what was going on. So sorry, Zachariah, we're not going to get um, a point there either. The next one, expected news versus Mary having unexpected news. Now, I will give him a little bit of, you know, I'm a little halvesies on this because I'm sure he wasn't expected to have a child in his old age. However, the angel does say, God has heard your prayer. Now, we don't know if he was praying while they were in childbearing years, but we can potentially guess that he was praying for a miracle after they were unable to conceive. There would have been precedent for that with Sarah and Abraham. And he's a priest, so he would know those scriptures. So he could potentially have been praying that morning for this. And then he's like, whoa, doesn't know what's going on. Whereas for Mary, it's very clear. Although Jesus is good news, is 
the answer to the people's prayers, this would not have been her personal prayer to get pregnant out of wedlock. Uh-uh, <laughs> that would not have been her prayer. So this is very unexpected. The next one, good news versus frightening news. I think this is the most important thing I'm gonna say today. This is good news for Zachariah. Okay, let's think of what he said. First of all, an angel comes to see you. Amazing. Number two, Zachariah, God has heard your prayer. Number three, you're going to have a son, and a son would have been very important in that culture. You're going to have a son who's important. Uh Uh-huh, very good. And Elizabeth's going to do all the heavy lifting. So this is pretty much like best day ever. Um, Sometimes with some of our friends, um, if we're around a campfire or something, we might say, hey, what's your perfect day? And we'll say, well, we start off in Italy, and then we end up on a yacht, and you have this and that. This is probably, if Zachary was planning out his perfect day, it would go a little bit like this. Whereas for Mary, and I'm going to be a little more serious around this, this would have been frightening. Yes, the news of Jesus was wonderful, but for Mary personally, as you know, it means shame. I was listening to a podcast recently, and a psychologist was discussing how, as humans, we actually fear being shamed more than we fear death, which is very interesting. This would have been scandalous. This would have been terrible. She also is not promised that she would potentially survive this as well, and she would have known many other women who would have had birth complications, and and a ton of things going on there. So this would have been scary for her personally. To take it into a modern-day concept, and maybe even for men to be able to kind of understand it a little bit better as well, just thinking, if you're at work and God gave you a message saying, I'm going to do something wonderful through you at work, but everyone at work is going to think that you've done something extremely inappropriate and extremely scandalous, and you're likely potentially going to be fired. And it's like, okay, God, I'll do that, and I, I hope we would, but it's definitely not like this woohoo moment. It's a, okay, that's a big pill to swallow, and at this point as well, she wouldn't have known if Joseph was going to stay with her. Thankfully, God did put that in place for Mary, and we know that he was looking after her, but it was frightening news, whereas for Zechariah, again, didn't really want to believe it with good news. The next thing that I wanted to kind of cross off our list is the fact that Zachariah and Mary both questioned the angel. So sometimes we can think, oh, it's because he asked a question, then he was silenced, which seems a little unfair. But Mary also had a question, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And there was such a different response from the angel, wasn't there? So that can't be it. So we're kind of left off with this last piece of evidence. And that's that Zachariah just had unbelief in his heart but more so a lack of trust. We see later in the New Testament where the father of the demon-possessed boy says to Jesus, help me overcome my unbelief. So we know that there's a space where I'm not there yet, but I want to be, but whereas Zachariah just didn't seem to want to be there. Whereas Mary, we see again, belief and active trust in a very frightening situation. And she says this beautiful line, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. Now, it's very easy to think that Zachariah is a numpty. Now, that's my favorite new British word that I have used, so I'm very excited to use it as much as possible. I even put it on my slides, so I was excited about it. It's very easy to think like, oh, Zachariah. Sometimes he's painted as, well, of course, it's Zachariah, the guy who didn't believe the angel and then was silent. That's almost how we know him. And we think, of course, the Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus, the person who has her face and statue everywhere, of course she would believe. 
But in that context, that wouldn't have been the case at all. We wouldn't have assumed that that's what they would be like. Zachariah is a serious man. He's educated. It says that he's righteous. He's a Christian. He's following God. He's Jewish at the time. And he was a priest. He also had a ton of life experience. Whereas Mary would have been uneducated. It gives a beautiful little intro for what Zachariah does and a little bit about him. For Mary, there wasn't a lot of details to give because we just she's a little bit unknown. She was a young woman. She's probably a teenager. So in, in that culture as well, that, that would mean certain things as well. But yet again, we see Zachariah disappointed and scarred. Whereas Mary, we see as humble and servant-hearted. Now, I think that that's, it's very important to see this, that this really struck me when I was studying and preparing for this sermon, that Zachariah isn't being punished by God. God is being gracious with him. He's saying, hey, Zachariah, I have a really important job for you. You're going to be the father to John the Baptist. And I know you're righteous and you're following me, but you're not there yet. But I am going to give you nine months to get there. I'm going to put you in rehab. And I'm going to get you to the point where you're saying, be still and know that I am God. But guess what? Mary was already there. And she didn't need that time. She was ready. She was there really against all odds. But God isn't punishing Zachariah. He's saying, yeah, you need this time. I know what you need, and I need you to do something important. I need you to be in top form. And it's actually a beautiful, loving, redeeming, gracious thing. Don't we serve a gracious God? Yeah, we do. Now, I hope it doesn't feel like I'm knocking Zachariah like, girls rule, boys drool. That's what we say in Canada. Not at all. You know what? I identify with Zachariah. I'm educated. I hope we have a little bit of life experience. I'm in ministry. I'm serving. And I kind of also understand his heart. I know for me, there's things that I've prayed, and you just have that slight maybe scar tissue around your heart afterwards. One story that's come to mind is just, um, I have a friend called Leah. We were really good friends in secondary school. Um, we've continued to stay good friends. And her mom has been chronically ill. And she was in and out of hospital a lot when we were in secondary school and again when we were in uni. Um, and then afterwards, Leah's become, um, gone on to medical school and has become a doctor. And we still keep in touch. And she's not a Christian. And I, for some reason, would pray for her mom. And I don't really know her mom that well other than the occasional, like, oh, talking to them as they make you a sandwich if you're over at their house. But I just had this burden in my heart for her mom. And I would pray, God, heal her. Or I would pray, God, I just that she would come to know you. Sometimes God would wake me up in the middle of the night at 4 a.m. and I would wake up with a burden to pray for her. I can say for me, I love my sleep. That is extremely rare. And then last November, I got a text message from Leah saying that she had passed away. And to my knowledge, there was no healing and there was no heart transformation. And it really rocked me. I was just like, God, what, what's going on there, right? It just gives you that, that heart tissue, that, that scar tissue around your heart, rather. And just, uh, does anyone else feel that, or is it just me? Yeah. And so as we go into this next year, friends, 2024, I just want us to consider these two things, and I have two questions for us. My question is, the first one, how can we be ready 
like Mary. Mary was already ready for the unexpected thing that God was going to do in her heart. How can we be ready? Woo! Thinking, oh, there could be amazing things that God wants to do next year. How can we be ready like Mary? But I think the more important question is question number two. Where do I need to be redeemed like Zachariah? Where do I need that nine month of be still and know that I am God. Because I know if God asks me about something in that category again, I'm going to be a bit apprehensive because I know I need to be redeemed. But as I said before, God is gracious and loving, and he wants us to be filled with his spirit. He wants us to be ready to serve him. So what does the unexpected look like? Well, in Zachariah's case, the unexpected looked like amazing news. So where are you next year getting amazing news, but you're not ready to receive it? Maybe it's a promotion at work, and you're like, oh, I don't know. Are you ready to say, I am the Lord's servant? Or are you ready? you're like, mm, I don't know. Even though you've prayed for it, it's answering your prayer. Or maybe it's like Mary. Maybe it's something frightening. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's conflict with a family member. But again, I am the Lord's servant. So I'm just going to have a moment. I'm going to invite Nick and Amy to come back up, I believe. I think he's going to come up and close us, but just to really um, consider how can I be ready like Mary? I know for me, it's gonna be, okay, how can I take some time and just quiet myself before God with all the other distractions going on and be ready? How can I be ready like Mary? And where do I need to be redeemed? I think it's being honest with God about the things that are hurtful to us, the things that we have wounds about. Because God already knows, so it's not a surprise. Oh, gee, I didn't know that that was upsetting to you, Hannah. God already knows, and there's freedom in being able to give those burdens over to Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to restore our hearts, to restore our faith. And that's really what Christmas is about, right? It's about the coming of Jesus, God, Emmanuel, the coming of God to be with us, to restore our hearts.